Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners. If you are listening this week because you stayed home on Sunday because of the snow, I understand. And we just want you to know thanks for listening in. Thanks for all of you for making uh, the effort to be here. And a big uh, thank you to everyone who got here early, who called last night and said, how can we help? And just help us get ready so that we could uh, accommodate everyone this morning. And we, we really appreciate that. We're continuing on through our, our series over the next few months. We're going to be going through the book of First Peter. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. But if you weren't here last week, I want to catch you up. Last week, we discussed the idea that we have an inheritance. And the inheritance is a relationship with the Father, not just for the future, but for the here and the now. So we discussed what is an inheritance. And an inheritance is a gift. Hey, just a reminder, if you think you deserve an inheritance because you were born, you're crazy. An inheritance is something that is given to you to help you carry out the work that in the Old Testament that the Father had done. So it was in, enabled you to keep carrying about the work that your Father had done and set you up to do that in the best way possible. So an, imper- an inheritance is for the purpose of making your life able to carry out your Father's work in the Old Testament. And our work with our inheritance is to help people know of salvation and how it's supposed to change one's life for both now in eternity. That's, that's huge. And that's a big deal. To remind our lives that our lives is not just about the here and now, but in eternity. That it's not just about us, but about helping others find the gospel. To find the people to have the hope and the joy, the good news. And, and, and it's not just about getting to go sledding. That's funny. Anybody go sledding yesterday? I didn't. I'm too old. Um, did anybody get to go and have fun making snowballs? I did that yesterday. It was pretty fun. I, I, you know, it's not just about the fun moments in life, but it's about making your life have a purpose and a meaning. First Peter 1, 8 through 9, we read these verses last week, says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with the inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The salvation of your soul comes about when your life is filled with the power of God. When your life is filled with the power of God and you understand what that looks like, then all of a sudden life has a different meaning. You're able to see it through a different set of lenses. You're able to to look at life in a different manner, in a different way. But one of the deceptions of the enemy is to convince us that our salvation should look something other than what it does. And so in in church of the world today, we often confuse peace with prosperity. We confuse hope with the feeling of safety. We confuse the promise of joy with the idea of happiness. We don't really approach him for the purpose of finding him. We approach him for the purpose of finding ourselves. And hear me. When you find him, you will find who you were made to be. But if you approach him for the purpose of just getting what you want, you're missing the entire picture of what the gospel is really supposed to be about. So I want to ask us today, as we're going to read some unusual verses, verses that you probably don't cover unless you're going through the Bible verse by verse. Do we really know what salvation should look like? I think in the church there's two extremes. The first extreme is when we talk about salvation, it's this idea that if we were to carry around salvation, we're supposed to be a miserable person here on earth. Why? Because our hope is coming in the next life. Praise God. 
I just got my foot stepped on, but I'm sure it helped the other person along, so I'm going to bear this burden for the rest of my life, you know? I, I was persecuted. Someone did a mean comment on Facebook, but God be the glory. My life is very hard, right? There's a lot of people who carry that idea, and, and, and sometimes we in the church can be like, our, our hope is coming, and so we, we, we present the gospel as, hey, the next life's going to be awesome, but just grin and bear it here, and that's not really the gospel. But the other extreme of it is this idea where life is going to go flawless, easy. You're going to have the perfect family, the perfect job, the perfect faith, the perfect teeth even, you know? You're going to be able to eat all the candy you want and not gain any weight. It's going to be awesome. That's not the gospel. That's not life. That's not real. And I think when we understand the balance of what salvation really is and what our life, our inheritance should really look like, when we begin to see um, the understanding of what God really wants to do in our lives, we'll be amazed. You see, salvation has always been God's amazing plan. But many miss it because they don't see it for what it truly is. So how do we do that? Well, as you're going to see in Peter, in other words, to fully comprehend our salvation, we must understand salvation in light of history and heaven. Let's look in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets, who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, searched and carefully investigated, they inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance in the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. At first glance, when you read these, verses. You're like, oh, that's pretty awesome. But I think there's a whole nother level here. If we really understand, it talks about how we view our salvation through the lens of history and heaven. When we begin to see this, viewing our salvation in the light of history and salvation, especially in the light of history, shows us the grandeur of God's love. Let's start by looking at salvation through the light of history. You see, Adam and Eve messed up. There was this guy named Adam and Eve. They were the original man and woman. And they were in the garden. And they were told not to eat of this tree, but, you know, they did what humans do. I want to eat of that tree. Why? Because it's there. And I think I have a right to, and I, I have desire, and, and so no one's going to tell me. So that tree was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you've been around here long enough, you've heard me talk about it. The reason that tree was called the knowledge of good and evil was because Adam and Eve, before they ate of that tree, only knew good. And so when they ate of that tree, all of a sudden they knew the difference between good and evil. Why? Because they now knew what evil was. And in doing so, they separated themselves from the perfect plan of God. And they found themselves looking at each other going, huh, I'm a little embarrassed in the skin I'm in. Are you a little embarrassed in the skin I'm in? Yes, I'm a little embarrassed. And so they, they gathered together some leaves or whatever they did and tried to fashion some kind of clothing because they were no longer comfortable in their own skin. Can anybody relate? You're all wearing clothes, by the way. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> but we're embarrassed 
to be in the skin we're in because we know we're not perfect and we know they're not perfect and we know we're going to judge people and we know people are going to take things and then bad things happen and, and then sin just breeds sin. And, and so we end up having to hide ourselves and cover ourselves. And, and this would be a tragic circumstance if not that God had always had a plan. And you see evidence of this by the fact that when Adam and Eve, go back and read it in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were there, what God did was he said, those leaves aren't going to cover you. So he went and sacrificed an innocent animal and clothed them with the skin of another animal. That's the first foreshadowing to the coming of the Messiah. It proves to us that the innocent animals will have to be sacrificed to cover up our shame, to cover up and to help us be restored back into the dignity which we were made to be. Moses was leading people through the wilderness. And you know what they were doing when they were going through the wilderness? They were headed to the, wait for it, the promised land. But the people who were going to the promised land were sitting there going, you know what, this life kind of stinks and I thought we were going to be able to eat all the candy we want and not gain weight. And all you're giving me is manna. And some of those little bird things that kind of, I don't know, it's weird. And, you know, can, is it too much to ask for a vegetable? I mean, I would probably be even wanting a vegetable after all that. You know, is it too much to ask for a little dessert, God? I mean, I want a little something here. I'm tired of the bread. I'm tired of the, this little quail stuff. I'm tired of all of it. I want to go back to slavery because we ate better there. I knew what I was in there. I knew the life that I had there. And they missed the understanding of what the gospel was really about. It says, in your life, you will be going through journeys trying to find the promised land. The promised land is in the next life. But on the journey, don't miss the power of God's provision. Don't miss the power of God's plan. Don't miss the, the, the ordained hand of God leading and guiding and providing for you in the darkest circumstances, in the moments in your life where you're sitting there going, does anybody care? God still cares for you. Look at Ruth, a seemingly foreigner who would not be accepted in a culture. She went into Israel with her mother-in-law after both of their husbands had died. She didn't know if she would be received. The Moabite women were not great women. Uh, they were not viewed as, oh, look, there's a Moabite. They have a good reputation. That was not the time. She didn't know what she was going, but faithfully she went. And she said, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to be faithful through that. And through that process, she got to see the kinsman redeemer. Something that was always established, something that was a distant relative she didn't even know about that was coming to rescue her. The foreshadowing of our kinsman redeemer, the relative in our life that we didn't know that was going to rescue us. And all of these times throughout the entire Old Testament, Peter is saying, these people lived faithful through difficult circumstances. You think your life is hard? It may be hard. But there are people in the Old Testament who had a difficult life, and many of them had a more difficult life than you. They've been going through, yeah, they had a more difficult life than you. They didn't have TV. I mean, it was difficult. That was a joke. What I'm really saying is their life was hard. Wars, famine, murder, people invading them, taking their wives, taking their children, raping, all of those things. And in the middle of it, it would have been very easy to go, God, where are you? I thought I was supposed to be yours. I, I thought salvation was for me. 
Where are you? And Peter, in this passage, is articulating this beautiful thing. This idea that through thousands of years, the faithful people of God received only the foreshadowing glimpses of what you and I have tangible access to. The foreshadowing glimpses into what we get to have and hold. And their faithfulness was not only about living for their lives, but in doing so, they created an environment where the gospel, although twisted and distorted by some because sin was in the world, managed to carry a continuous line since the beginning of time through now so that we might know of the power of what God had always orchestrated. Their faithfulness, Ruth's faithfulness, has led to you and I being here. Their faithfulness, Moses listening to the constant grumbling of the people led to their faithfulness of hearing the power of God. Their faithfulness through their sin, through their mess, through their shadows, through their darkness, through their depression, through their depravity, led them to a place where they were pointing to the fact that the Messiah is coming, and now he has come. (laughs) And Peter's going, do you realize how awesome this is? And what he's saying is, God has been orchestrating your salvation. Your salvation. Not for decades, not for centuries or even millenniums. He's been coming to rescue you since the beginning of time. So you think you're going through a difficult time in this life. I get it. You think you're having a great time in it. Great, I'm happy for you. But God is not surprised by your circumstances. God is not surprised by the the people who have let you down. God is not surprised by the fact that you have let you down. And he's sure not surprised by the fact that you have let him down. See, since the beginning of time, he knew that you were going to need a rescuer. And so he's always had the plan. Since the moment that good and evil distinguished itself, he said, I now know that you know what depravity feels like. Don't you hate it? There is hope. There is peace. There is me. I want to read you the message version. Message is a paraphrase. It's often called the translation. It's actually a paraphrase of these three verses. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says this through the message. The prophets who told us this was coming asked a lot of questions about this gift of life that God was preparing. The Messiah's spirit led them in on some of it. That the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. And all they were told was that they were serving you. You by whose orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit the message of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would be given anything to begin on this. You get to see what David didn't get to see. You get to see what Moses didn't get to see. You get to see what Ruth or Esther didn't get to see. You get to have a tangible presence of God dwelling you in the power of his Holy Spirit because Jesus came and died on a cross and was raised to new life. So the inheritance you have isn't just for the next life. It's tangible here and now. 
Why is that important? It's important because so often we approach the gospel as Jesus came and died for me. He did. But when we say it in that manner, the danger is we present it like this. Jesus came and died for only me. And I love what David Platt says about this. Have you ever heard a pastor say this? They shouldn't have, right? It's, even if you were the only one, Jesus would have died for you. We don't know if that's true or not, because the fact is, it's not even possible. <laughs> Since the beginning of time, Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for you and 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 go all around the world pointing. Since the history of time through the end of creation, he died. Why is that significant? Because in order to understand the salvation, wait for it, history shows us that we got to back up from ourselves and stop viewing at it through our lenses. We have to understand that the lens of the gospel narrates that my faithfulness will dictate other people seeing the faithfulness of God. And in other people seeing the faithfulness of God, we're going to be drawn closer to the presence of God. And our salvation works better when the church is unified, representing the power of who God wants to be. And we say, you're broken. I'm broken. God healed me. God healed me. Let's pray for each other's wounds. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be real with each other. Let's be broken with each other. Let's gather together and let each other know. Let's lift each other up. Let's go do the work of the church so that people can know that God has always had a plan. And in the misery of this life, we have hope. I'm glad someone said amen. Because I can, I'm just blown away. I'm blown away by the power of that. Yet here's what I realize. I can preach this to the nth degree and I often don't even believe it myself. I've discovered that we don't understand how to be rescued. Maybe for you it's a sense of unworthiness. Maybe for you it's a sense of selfishness. Maybe for you it's we're too broken. We've gone too far. Maybe we feel like God is distant. Maybe we feel like I really can't change, but God's going to somehow rescue me in the end. Maybe we sit there and go, I know God loves me, but does he really care for me? And we we don't really understand that God knows all, sees all, and cares for us. I want to read a passage. Normally we're going to try to stay in First Peter, but I want to read John 4 to you, the very familiar passage, when Jesus is approaching a Samaritan woman. He says, go call your husband, he told her, John 4, 16, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I... I don't have a husband, Jesus said. Now imagine if you were this woman hearing him say these words, okay? If you're a man, just imagine that he's saying this about you having this many wives. For you've had five husbands, and the man you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. <laughs> How would you feel right there? Cool, thanks. You've been watching Sherlock, I got it. Sir, the woman said, I, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers, now she's not talking about, yes, yeah, she's talking about our fathers, worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is Jerusalem. So she's asking, where do I go worship? You, you have a difference of opinion on how to approach faith. Our denominations are different. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming 
when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is the Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when He comes, He will explain everything to us. And He basically looks at her and He says, I am the one speaking to you, am He. In other words, I'm here now. And I think sometimes today, Jesus might be trying to say the same thing through the power of his Holy Spirit where you sit right now. Maybe you haven't had five spouses, but maybe you know there's a part of your life that you haven't done. Maybe you recognize that you are worthy to follow God 90% of the time. But 10% of your shame is what keeps you from really knowing and experiencing the power of God. Maybe you fool everybody. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, which we don't really have, but we have small group leaders. Maybe you're a volunteer, one of our key volunteers. Maybe you're just a guy who's sitting in here who studies the Bible, and you're sitting there going, I wish only God could, could really accept me for who I am, but I'm going to help other people. And you're not fully embracing the fact that God doesn't value the 90% of you that's good. He values 100% of you. And if you don't adopt this mentality, as Matt Chandler says, if you don't adopt this mentality that God doesn't just care about 99%, if you only believe that God only cares about 99% of you, you're going to miss the power of the gospel. You have to believe right where you sit, right where you are, that God loves every facet of who you are, every fault that you have, every narrative of your life, every bump on the road, every trouble, every trial, every celebration, God looks at you and deeply cares for every part of you. And he says, when you're struggling, I am here. You think you hide from God? He knows everything about your life. You think you have struggles? He knows everything. And God is saying, you have to bring all of you to me. All of you to me. And we don't do it because we're full of shame. And maybe we don't understand the shame because we missed the last part of that Peter verse. I want to go back and read that last. That we we, we kind of glanced through it, but I want you to see what the last verse of that Peter says. It says, It was revealed to them that they may, were serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through the who, those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, dash, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Was that like just like a little exclamation point? No, that's, that's how we have to view our salvation in light of heaven. Because see, in your shame, you don't really understand how heaven views your salvation. I think sometimes we approach our salvation as, oh, I messed up, but I'm going to come to God and he's going to rescue me and heaven's going to be glad that I'm there. Good job. It's not about you. 
What makes the angels marvel at who at this salvation story? What makes the angels marvel at the fact that you were able to encounter the presence of God? What makes the angels, it's not about you. Why? Because you are full of shame. I am full of shame. We are all full of shame. We are full of brokenness. We are full of depravity. What the angels marvel at has nothing to do with your behavior today, tomorrow, or into eternity. Now, we're going to talk next week about how it's important to be obedient to the faithfulness of God, okay? So I'm not saying you shouldn't be faithful. You shouldn't be obedient. I'm not saying that God will accept you no matter what you're doing. But what I'm saying is the angels marvel not because of anything you've done, but because God's salvation is able to rescue you from the mess you're in. And God's glory is shown down through your life. God is presence, his power, his everything is on full display through the grandeur of a broken person who repents in the power of God and says, God, I can't rescue me. I don't know how to do it anymore. And God says, you are made whole. And the angels go, oh, did you see that? Glorious in excelsis tale. That's just what I know the angels say. <laughs> Good news. I mean, like, that makes them play some trumpets. Because we can't save ourselves. We, we can't. But in the, the power of viewing our salvation in light of heaven, and we recognize that everyone else in this room can't save themselves, that everyone else in this room is as broken, no matter how you feel, as you are. Everyone else in this room is full of depravity, just like you are. But when you come to yourself and you say, God, accept 100% of me, and God looks down and he says, I love you, it makes the angels declare how great God is. And ultimately, it should make us declare how great God is. Because here's the reality that helps us understand the point of understanding our salvation through the lens of history in heaven is the following. Heaven is the place where we will be made whole. You're broken now? Yeah, me too. But we are going to be made whole to be in the presence of God, to worship Him forever. You know why you can't find peace? Because you make life about you. Me too. You know why we enjoy singing? Because it points to Him. When we enter into the presence of God, there's something that will naturally say, I am protected, I am loved, I am adored, I am received, I am exonerated. <laughs> and I don't deserve it. And I want to worship you. So, I don't have any funny stories today. I don't have any other deep, deep meanings. I have an urgent message I truly believe is from the Lord. You want to find Him? Repent from the things that bring you shame. And let Christ make you into something new.
I thought about doing this, and I'm not going to, but I thought about having everybody write down their most um, thing that they are most ashamed of and holding it on at the beginning of the service and talking about it now. But here's what I really realized. If you were anything like me, you would have never written anything worse the worst thing that you did because you were scared someone would see you. They're going to be able to see the tracing of my pen. So we're all going to write, I lied once in fifth grade. You know, before I was married, I used to lust after people. That, that, that might be a little tangible, right? No, I want you this morning to truly take the part of you that you think is unworthy to be in the presence of God. And I want you to say, God, I'm sorry. Here it is. Maybe you didn't even cause it. Maybe you've been wounded by someone else. Your brokenness, their brokenness, it's all the same. Take it to God. And I want you to say, God, heal me. <laughs> You'll get the inheritance now. As we journey through our wilderness, eating our brana, bread and quail, You'll get it now. One day you'll be made whole. So if you never received Jesus, I want to invite you to, to realize this is what the Christian message is about. It's not about getting the nice car and the girl and the, or the guy. Or, it's about getting Jesus. We believe that if you repent from your sin, the knowledge you have of evil and you believe in your heart that Jesus came and died to rescue you, you can be saved. And you just got to say, God, I give you me. Come in. And would you stop by the next step space and tell us so we can talk to you about it? Maybe God brought you here through the snowstorm of 2019 for a moment just like this. Christian, are you fully living the gospel? You aren't unless you're doing it in view of history and heaven. The place where you recognize it's not about you. And your faithfulness will help other people be faithful. We'll talk more about that next week. But this morning, I want to invite you to recognize God loves you in your depravity and your shame. And I want you to invite you to repent. So in just a moment, we're going to sing what a beautiful name. Because the name is what saves us. The power of the name of Jesus through what he did for us. I want to invite you, if you need to sit where you are, sit. Maybe there's somebody in the room you need to go hug. Go hug them. Maybe you need to go talk to one of our staff. Go find them. They're around. You need to go out there and find some staff. Go find them. Maybe, just maybe, we're going to do old school. You want to come down here and kneel. What will people think? Who cares? I want to invite you to get before the power and the presence of God. Wherever he's asking you to go, be made whole and live in the light of heaven and history in the here and now. For the power of the salvation is here. So God, we are yours. And in this moment, God, we ask that you would break us, that you would heal us, that you would make us whole. God, I've heard so many stories this last week of the brokenness in our society. I know 
it's not always easy. But in our wilderness, would you keep providing? Would you keep showing us you're faithful? May we marvel today. May we leave in awe of the fact (laughs) you love us. All of us. We pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray it's about you. Oh God, move. May we walk out of here celebrating what a beautiful name it is.